0: listening to the
1: pharmacy podcast network. Hello and welcome to PTCE's Pharmacy Connect, a podcast focused on continuing education created by pharmacists for pharmacists. PTCE is the leader in pharmacy and managed care education. In these episodes, listeners will be presented with the most recent clinical updates and strategies for implementing into practice. And now, here's our host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri.
0: PTCE Pharmacy Connect listeners, we're excited to be back. It's a good day when I get to talk with pharmacists about uh, disease conditions and treatments, modalities. You know, there's an aspect about being a pharmacist that you know, and I'm talking to people that do this every day. The stress of our financial side of healthcare, care, uh, very stressful on our patients, stressful on you, pharmacists that are out there who see what your patients go through. These stresses can also kind of tie into how uh, patients are reacting to treatment even with regards to what happens in your system when you're stressed out. So I find this extremely important to really dig into the impact of our f- the financial side. And today we're going to be talking about myofibrosis, and we're going to be kind of unraveling that managed care side of treatment. We have a specialist with us today, a pharmacist that I'm excited to talk with. Dr. Melissa Pozzatrigo, PharmD. She's Senior Clinical Oncology Pharmacist at OncoHealth. Melissa, welcome to the PTC Pharmacy Connect.
1: Hi, Todd. Thank you for that introduction. Happy to be here with you today.
0: Excited to talk with you too. And you have experience with myelofibrosis specifically and how patients are impacted uh, not only for the treatment itself, obviously, but the financial side of this. So let's let's get into this. How are patients with myelofibrosis in healthcare systems impacted financially?
1: So generally, I mean, um, what we know is that myelofibrosis does lead to significant healthcare resource utilization um, as well as costs uh, for patients and the healthcare system as a whole. Um, we do know that patients with myelofibrosis have higher. Overall comorbidities, hospitalization rates, as well as outpatient visits. And this corresponds to a five-fold increase in healthcare costs when you compare that to age and gender match control patients who do not have uh, myeloproliferative neoplasms. We do know that the overall, the overall uh, total utilization costs are higher among patients with MF compared to patients that have other myeloproliferative neoplasms. So that could be um, polycythemia vera or essential thrombocythemia.
0: So are the costs primarily associated with inpatient hospitalizations or due to outpatient treatments?
1: So it's it's a little bit of both, actually. Um, And it kind of also depends on the time periods that we're looking at, So there was a study that was looking at this. Um, It was published in Blood. It was back in 2011. And um, just a little tidbit on the side there is that this is prior to um, the FDA approval of ruxolitinib, which um, definitely had a huge impact in the the treatment of myelofibrosis. Um, So just keeping that in mind, um, this study looked at the annual medical and pharmacy costs in three subtypes of myeloproliferative neoplasm. So that's MF, that's um, uh, polycythemia, and uh, ET, which is the essential thrombocythemia. And um, they matched it to non-cancer controls using a large US commercial claims database. Um, So for the purpose of our conversation, I'll focus on the patients with myelofibrosis. The data that they got was from the Thompson Routers Market Scan database. Um, and that um, contains claims for claims for insured employees, for retirees, and uh, as well as dependents. And that's coming from about a hundred us payers. So um, that's a very rich database there. And the time period that they were looking at was between um, two thousand and five to two thousand and eight. Um, So when we're talking about pharmacy costs, we're thinking about injectable drugs, non-injectable chemotherapy, um, supportive care drugs, as well as other uh, prescription costs. And what these these authors found was that the annual medical and pharmaceutical costs are significantly higher, and they do represent medical management challenges and and payer burden, of course. Um, In this case, the outpatient visits were responsible for about half of the total of these healthcare costs. And uh, following that, it was uh, kind of like a mix of inpatient visits, pharmacy costs, and emergency department visits. But yeah, outpatient visits definitely were responsible for a good chunk of those uh, total healthcare costs.
0: Melissa, you mentioned ruxolitinib and the changes with regards to approval and payment. Um, You know, has changes since the approval of the medication, is there additional uh, recent data that you can share?
1: Yes, Tat. So there's actually um, a a more recent study. It was actually published this year in 2022. Um, So uh, yeah, before that, before this recent study, there was definitely a lack of real-world evidence describing treatment patterns in in this patient population and. Uh, describing healthcare resource utilization, um, but this this recent um, study it's, that I was that I'm mentioning it's a, it's a retrospective study um, with a significant uh, number of patients. It was almost 1,200 patients with myelofibrosis, and it looked at specifically the healthcare resource utilizations and cost. Um, and it also focused. There was a subgroup that focused on the patients that were treated with Roxulineb. Um, and really, it revealed that the treatment options in these patients so far are, are limited and that the major drivers of cost include inpatient hospitalization and pharmacy. So we see that pattern again, right? So it's interesting that here we are years later with a, an approval of a new drug, but still those major drivers are still like present with, with the hospitalization and the, the pharmacy costs. Um, there was a, a subgroup. So talking about the subgroup analysis uh, with the patients who were treated with roxolitinib, they still showed a significant um, healthcare resource utilization and cost rate, regardless of the dose of roxalitinib. And the reason I mentioned the, the dose um, portion of it is because these patients um, who are on ruxolitinib, they might be on various different dosing regimens. Um, The reason for that is because of the side effects of the drug. So some patients may have um, what's called uh, uh, count suppression, and that requires a reduction in the dose of ruxolitinib. Um, So they may not be able to tolerate the the full dose, Um, but regardless of the dose, like I mentioned, there was still significant healthcare resource utilizations and and costs. So what we see here is that these findings, they really highlight the substantial clinical and economic impact associated with myelofibrosis and the need for, for alternative treatments.
0: Yeah, there's a whole ecosystem with regards to payment um, that comes into play, you know, is the economic burden primarily that of our payers, Melissa, or is it also experienced by the patients?
1: Well, truthfully, Todd, it it falls on both. Um, I don't think anybody gets out easy uh, when it comes to the economic burden of, of myelofibrosis. So We we do know that financial toxicity is increasingly recognized as a major contributor to morbidity and mortality, not just in myelofibrosis, but in a variety of cancers. We do uh, have previous research that has demonstrated to us that patients with myeloproliferative neoplasms exhibit a substantial comorbidity burden, and they have an increased risk of mortality. In fact, we have a survey um, of patients. It's 51 patients with myeloproliferative neoplasms. You can find the survey um, published in in the Blood Journal in 2019. Um, And the purpose of this study was to define the rates of financial toxicity and the implications on morbidity and mortality in this population using uh, specifically patient-reported data. So the disease type um, was broken up, uh, like I said, with between uh, different types of myeloproliferative neoplasm. So roughly almost half of the patient population had um, myelofibrosis, then approximately 30% or so had polycythemia, and about 25% or so had um, ET. Now, the majority of these patients were high risk. Um, by a, They had a disease-specific scoring system. Um, and they were were found to be high risk. The majority were also Caucasian, and they had commercial insurance. Um, So now of these 51 patients that they surveyed, almost 40%, so that winds up being around 20 20 patients, they met the the predefined definition of exhibiting severe financial toxicity. Um, And in the study, uh, the, the lower financial toxicity scores, which that indicated that they had a higher degree of financial toxicity, that was associated with a lower global physical and mental score by the promise measures. That's a promise measures is the the scale that they use to measure this. Um, And additionally, what I found interesting was that there was even a trend. It wasn't statistically significant, but there was a trend towards decreased survival in those patients that had lower financial toxicity scores. Um, So that's really impactful there. That's really eye-opening, right, Um, that survival could be impacted by their by the patient's financial toxicity. Um, Then the the patient, not not surprisingly, right, the the patients reported uh, that this financial toxicity led to increased distress, uh, increasing morbidity, and even potentially mortality. Um, So so that tells us really that interventions to reduce financial distress in this patient population are, are absolutely paramount.
0: Well'm I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, being a pharmacist is is much more than just the clinical treatment and it's the it's the understanding of what your patient's going through, the empathy that you can provide and it's good to have that understanding of what is financial toxicity and what a term um, it is is um, it's eye-opening and it, and it makes you realize what people are are truly going through. Let's talk about quality of life. Does myelofibrosis have an impact on a patient's quality of life?
1: The short answer is yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so just to, to go into a little bit more. So um, in general, myeloproliferative neoplasm, or patients that have myeloproliferative neoplasms are definitely um, seen to have a high disease burden, a reduced quality of life, and even shortened survival. Um, But just to assess that further, um, just to see how specifically myeloproliferative neoplasms affects patients, there was actually a global um, MPN landmark survey that was done. Um, This survey was completed um, in patients with uh, myeloproliferative neoplasms, and physicians as well were involved, and it was conducted in various countries. Um, It was was done in Australia, Canada, Germany, Japan, um, Italy was also involved, and as well as the United Kingdom. So, the, the survey mentioned, uh, measured myeloproliferative related symptoms and the impact of MPNs on quality of life, and also looked at the ability to work um, as well as disease management strategies. So, what they found across the board was that the most frequent and severe symptom was by far fatigue. Um, most patients experience a reduction in quality of life. Um, and that that included actually patients with low symptom burden or low risk disease scores. Um, so that's that's kind of sad as well. I mean, like whether you have high risk or low risk, the reduction in quality of life is still there. It was still present. Um, and a substantial portion of these patients reported impairment at work and, and in overall activity. Um, so, so just thinking of like the fact that you're impacted in just your day-to-day living activities. I mean, that's, you know, that that's definitely something that these patients are, are feeling here. And, and um, just goes to show that there's more work to be done in this, in this area, right? Um, what I found to be really interesting with this landmark survey um, in terms of what the patients reported. They they reported that physician feedback and blood counts um were the most important indicators of treatment success. And that was how the patients perceived it, right? And they actually some of the patients even said that improvements in symptoms and quality of life were actually less important. So they placed the patients seem to place a huge value on physician feedback and, and on their blood counts. Now, the next thing that I, I found to be um I guess maybe there was some room for um, opportunity there room for improvement is that the study revealed that a lot, la- there was a lack of alignment between physicians and patient perceptions um, relating to communication and disease management. And just meaning that like the patients often had different treatment goals than their physicians. Um, and, and that to me just shows that again, there's just opportunity for better communication um, just to make sure everybody is on the same page. Um, because I feel like that is something that can be tackled in real time, right? That's not something where we need um, complicated treatment regimens or fancy clinical trials to answer these questions. That is something that that can be done um, right now. Um, so yeah, so overall, this study basically suggested that the therapies um, that reduce symptom burden and, and improve quality of life in this pa- patient population are crucial um, in minimizing the disease impact on the patient's daily lives. Um, and also, again, the, 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 the landmark uh, survey just showed a need for improved patient physician communication, um, standardized monitoring of symptoms, and agreement on, on treatment goals.
0: Melissa, you know what I'd really like with your experience and understanding of myelofibrosis is giving our listeners, our pharmacists, um, ideas um, for patient assistance and how they can help these patients overcome challenges in living with myelofibrosis. Could you help our uh, pharmacists listening in um, give us some ideas um, of how to best assist our patients undergoing treatment for myelofibrosis?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, So just some general ideas um, that I think uh, are applicable to to pharmacists and and other disciplines in the healthcare system as well. Um, Really identifying these patients early on. Um, And that might happen by a a patient's just primary care physician before they're even diagnosed with with a myeloproliferative neoplasm, right? So identifying these patients early on and referring them to Coordinated care, so a center of excellence, a place that has a lot of experience in in uh, in this area. Um, another uh, big thing is determining the patient's treatment goals, right? So that will likely be something that's between the the physician and the the patient initially, just determining what those treatment goals are. Um, But from the pharmacist side, right, we can reinforce that information. I mean, patients are are bombarded by so much information when they're first diagnosed. It's hard for them to remember everything. It's hard for them to digest all this information. So um, there's many pharmacists that have opportunities to meet with these patients later on after the the meeting with the physicians or the meeting with the nurses. Um, So I think just kind of reinforcing those treatment goals, ensuring that the patient is on the same page, Um, also as part of the counseling process, just helping the patient understand the timeline with the treatment goals, these treatment goals may not be met immediately. It may be a gradual, um, uh, time, a period of time that these treatment goals are met in, right? So they may not feel better quickly after starting their medication. So at that point where you're counseling on ruxolitinib when you're for the pharmacists that are dispensing the drug, um, just explaining to the patient that. Sometimes they may actually feel a little worse in the beginning because they may have fatigue related to anemia um, and, you know, it may require dose adjustments or, or, or whatnot, but basically that the treatment goals may not be met right away just so that the patients have realistic expectations. So the next one, um, encouraging a multidisciplinary treatment approach, is one that I think is very important and very valuable because it really takes a village to to help these patients and and ensure that we're we're giving them the best treatment possible. So. It's not just the physicians and nurses, but as we know, pharmacists play a huge role, social workers play a huge role. Um, If there's a financial uh, team that's involved in the hospital, making sure they're looped in, uh, that'll only enhance uh, the patient care. So I think multidisciplinary is is really important here. Um, Assessing the resources available. So from a cost perspective, trying to stay in network for that patient um, is ideal if if possible. Um, Depending on what parts of the country they live in, of course, that may not always be uh, a possibility, but whenever it is possible, I think seeing a network is is a good idea. Um, And then identifying disconnects between the medical side and the financial and claim side. Um, I have found so many times that the prescribers don't necessarily know what the patients pay, what the patient's respons- cost responsibilities are. Um, and once it's brought to their attention, they're just like floored, right? So some of these patients, they don't necessarily disclose that information to their treating providers. Um, I don't, it may, it could be that they're um, just overwhelmed by things or, um, you know, the, the cost is just something that they, they can't handle, but they don't necessarily voice that. Um, and it's found kind of like down the line, if the patient can't afford the medication, they're not taking it or whatnot. Um, but I think just identif- being that liaison to, to identify any disconnects um, as a pharmacist, I think is something that, that we can do uh, because we do have the ability to talk to these patients and you know help them and, uh, and to ensure that they're able to meet these uh, financial responsibilities with copayments um, so I think just identifying that disconnect is is important.
0: Melissa, I'm glad that you went through that because the team approach is so necessary. I've heard from pharmacists that their patients notice that when a physician and pharmacist work closely together, they feel more they feel better taken care of. So it I think that plays into treatment most definitely. What can the pharmacists do to better assist our patients undergoing treatment for myelofibrosis?
1: Great question, Todd. So there's a myriad of things that a pharmacist can do, and and as we know, pharmacists are now practicing in various different areas of pharmacy, right? So it, whether it's the community pharmacist or um, the the pharmacist in the in the clinic working side by side with the with the medical team, or a, a pharmacist like myself who's working more so in um, managed care. The good thing is, I feel like there's something that all pharmacists can do so education is definitely one of them um so ed- ensuring like i mentioned before that the patient understands the treatment goals um also ensuring that the patient understands how to take their medication what the side effects are for their medication those are things are, are paramount um then on the the dispensing side there may be a medication assistance team specialty pharmacy pharmacists are probably the ones that are seeing the majority of 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 these drugs um, because these are high cost drugs. And many of the uh, insurance companies require that, that they go through a specialty pharmacy. And the great thing about that is that a lot of the pharmacists who work in specialty pharmacy have monitoring Uh, treatment monitoring plans where they they contact the patient to see how are they tolerating the drug are they having side effects have they received the drug (laughs) do they have any questions are they taking it appropriately Um, so there's a lot of uh, patient interaction there which is really great to ensure that the 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 patient understands how to take their medication Um, monitoring as i mentioned before so there's monitoring of symptoms Monitoring of adherence, um, and this could be uh, whether it's it's the patient, whether it's the pharmacist in the specialty pharmacy who is doing this, or perhaps the the pharmacist on the the clinic side um, who sees the patient, perhaps like you know a, a few times a month or so. Um, they are able to to assess how the patient is is doing with the medication, and kind of like immediately communicate that with the primary team, so that the primary team is is on board and understands. Um, how the patient is doing as well. Again, because sometimes patients relay certain information to their providers and to their, to their physicians. And sometimes they, they may not relay everything. So I just remember being in clinical practice and saying like, oh, the patient told me that they're taking the drug, you know, every other day and the physician would say, oh, I they didn't tell me that. So just kind of like being that liaison there and, and improving the communication, I think, is important. And then on the practice management side, there's um, oral oncolytic programs uh, that some institutions do have and clinical quality measures that are there to ensure that the patient um, is, is taking this medication appropriately.
0: So what are some ways that our pharmacists can aid patients in navigating the complex financial landscapes? Are there anything particular that that you can share with our listeners?
1: Yes, absolutely. There's a lot that we can do. Um, I know that I've in, in clinical practice. I mean, I've I've seen so many different opportunities where where pharmacists uh, can help. Um, keeping in mind too that some institutions may have a, a patient financial team involved that may assist as well. Um, but there are certain things that that pharmacists can help with, of course. So ensuring that the medi- the, the medication is covered in a timely manner, right? So um, sometimes these prior authorizations are just. Maybe faxed out or emailed out, or so, but um, ensuring that you get that response and from from the payer um, so that the medication can be dispensed in a, in a timely manner, I think, is important. Um, identifying prior authorization requirements, um, whether there's step therapy involved. To my knowledge, typically in myelofibrosis, I haven't seen any payers um, implement any sort of step therapy, um, but that could be that could uh, come along. Uh, with, with the approval of newer JAK inhibitors. Um, if there's any need for support with in, uh, insurance denials or appeals, those are all areas where a pharmacist can, can help out. Then identifying the patient's financial responsibility, um, just ensuring that, that that is something that the patient can handle, that that's something that they can fit within their budget. And then aiding with patient's assistance programs, Sometimes the amount of paperwork that is involved with these patient assistance programs can be overwhelming. They're great programs, don't get me wrong, but there is a a significant application process and just being the liaison there too, because some of the applications need to be filled out and signed by the physician. Some portions of it have to be done by the patient. Um, So just kind of helping out, making sure all the papers are in order and, and submitted in a timely manner. And again, and then ensuring that we, we get a, a response, right. And, and will the, it was that patient approved for that patient assistance program, you know, who's keeping track of that. So I think that's something that where pharmacists are are stepping up and helping out in a significant manner.
0: Dr. Pazadrigo. It's been amazing to share information with our listeners that's specific to the financial stresses of myelofibrosis and the treatment of, um, the specialty um, category and and how it can impact um, treatment and how it can impact the stresses that our that our patients go through. Um, I do have a final question. We always want to know uh, based on our our special guest, Melissa. What would you say is the single most important takeaway from our pharmacists listening in today?
1: Well, that's a hard one, Todd, because there's so many things that I want to say here. Um, but I would say, from a managed care perspective. Um, I would say that ensuring access to the medication, right? Because we have newer, fancier drugs being approved for myelofibrosis. And and there's so much effort that goes into that, so much research, the complexity and cost of clinical trials to get these drugs approved, I mean, is, is no small feat, right? So I think, At the end of the day though, I think access is very important because if these patients aren't taking the medications, well, then they're not going to work, right? So ensuring that the patient can afford these drugs, ensuring that the patient is is able to um, understand how how to take their medication, um, what side effects to to expect. Um, I think that's all like something that is in the pharmacist's Wheelhouse, right, um, and and something that we can play a role in it and help patients to ensure that they can they can afford their medications, whether they need help with patient assistance programs, um, whether, like I mentioned before, whether there's any um, support needed with insurance denials. Um, I think that's a that's a very important role for for the pharmacist.
0: Thanks for sharing that, and pharmacists listening. Um, you provide a, a very special connection to your patients that look to you after the therapy has been implemented um, from their physician and then carrying that therapy on and ongoing. I'm excited that we've gotten to share this with our PTCE Pharmacy Connect listeners today. I'm excited to be uh, continuing uh, the series around uh, myelofibrosis. This is very important. Melissa, thank you so much for being part of this.
1: Thanks for having me,
0: Todd. Please connect with the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcasts. You can find all of their content at pharmacytimes.org. We appreciate everything you do as pharmacists. You're my favorite providers. And we thank you for listening to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. Your feedback is important to us. Please share with us your thoughts on this episode and other topics you'd like to learn about go to PharmacyTimes.org forward slash contact and send us a message.